Welcome, everybody, to Book of Boredom, Jones edition. Oh, yeah, that's one way to put it. <laughs> Roasting Saints with Jones. Yes. Today, me and Jones, we're going to tackle episode 17 of this superlative podcast that the church has put out. And if you all haven't listened, you should really go and have a listen to maybe one episode just to see how stupid it is. If you can make it through one episode, it's just, <laughs> oh. The church voice of these people is so nauseating. It is. I know you have a thing for Sarah Iring, but she just sounds like every generic, basic Mormon bitch that I've heard my entire life. There's nothing <laughs> to be excited by her at all. She's just Utah Mormon lady, number 48. I'm scared that if I ever met her, I'd find her incredibly boring. Definitely. The hype is always better than the reality, Jones. It's better yes. that she stays a disembodied voice in a podcast mm -hmm. that I can enjoy and also make jokes about. It can't all be fun and games, can it, Jones? No, no, it can't. It was all fun and games until Joseph Smith got a revelation, or didn't. It was all fun and games until Joseph Smith got too lazy to do farming, so he <laughs> had to come up with a con and then another con and then another con and con on top of con on top of con. But I think he learned it from his parents too. Like, I think his yeah. mom was a pretty good con artist. His mom was a con artist and his dad was a drunk. So, you know, it's like... Right, yes. He came by it honestly, I suppose, but... It's no wonder he enjoyed a good drink too, you know? Yeah, he did. It was genetic. Mormons really enjoyed <laughs> their alcohol until... I think it was Heber J. Grant. Oh, he was the president who took the suggestion of the word wisdom and suddenly made it one of the questions that they ask you in the temple recommend. Do you follow the word of wisdom? <laughs> he could not control the drink in his younger years, so he became quite the teetotaler. And then, of course, he said, well, since... I can't drink alcohol. Nobody can drink alcohol. Mm. Well, shall we get started on this superlative episode? Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us for the Saints podcast on the Mormon channel. On the Mormon channel. On the Mormon channel. On the Mormon channel. Mormon, 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 Mormon. I mean, this <laughs> podcast, I don't know when it came out, but it wasn't that long ago. It was definitely after Rusty took the reins. They're still calling it the Mormon channel. Here, they're saying, oh, Saints is this new narrative history. Yes, it is a narrative history. It's a history of the people that they're doing in a narrative way. But the other new narrative here is that Mormon is a slur. Bullshit. They called themselves that. It's been that way since pretty much the get-go. I mean, the Mormon church, it was named like four different fucking things before Joseph finally settled on the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with the capital L, you know. Oh my God, such a mouthful. Yeah, it really is. Branding, Joseph. Right. But they've always been called Mormons. Then suddenly the word Mormon is a slur. <laughs> my mom and dad, converts. And the entire time they've been in the church, they were Mormons, part of the Mormon church. Mormon, Mormon, Mormon. And then Rusty did his thing. And my mom and dad still call themselves Mormons. <laughs> they're just like, yeah, I know what Rusty said, but we're Mormons. <laughs> but there are other people here in Utah, just as old, if not older than my parents. And they were born Mormons, been calling themselves Mormons their entire life. And this dipshit comes in and says, Mormons, I swear. And suddenly they're like, no, don't call us Mormons. You can't call us Mormons. Ignoring the 
fact that they just a few years ago sent Facebook links to all their friends about, look at this PR campaign the church has put out called I'm a Mormon or Meet the Mormons, you know. Can you imagine a sitcom called Meet the Mormons? Wouldn't that be awesome? Uh, no. Oh. No, unless it was... As long as you're making fun of them. Like, yeah, exactly. Oh, it could be very amusing. Meet the Mormons. Look at this guy. He's a Mormon and he rides a skateboard, so we're cool. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, what about that culty shit you get up to in the temple? What about your magic fucking underwear? <laughs> All right, so clip two. <laughs> Smitty's opinion on slavery is just public opinion. So what were the attitudes of the members about slavery at the time? Most of them were from the North where slavery had been abolished. And so most of them probably did not believe in slavery. But we have to remember as well that this is a very racist period in the history of the United States. And most whites believe that African-Americans were inferior to them. And I'm sure uh, many church members held these beliefs as well. Joseph Smith kind of had a evolving or developing opinion about slavery. I think Joseph was very pragmatic, and when the saints were trying to live in Missouri, a slave state, he tried not to champion abolition. But later on, after they're kicked out of Missouri, when they're living in Illinois, he becomes much more attuned to the idea of abolition. And when he runs for president of the United States in 1844, he actually talks about how slavery should be abolished. Smitty is supposed to have a direct line from God. So why is he evolving? That's right. If God is against slavery, he should say, I'm against slavery. But of course, in the Old Testament, God was all about slavery. You know, in the New Testament, I think Jesus had some things to say about slavery, didn't he? Well, he was saying there is now no slave or free, no Jew or Greek. Right, yeah, yeah. Whatever that means. I don't know. It was Jesus saying, hey, you could all worship me. Actually, it wasn't Jesus. It was some guys and fucking Rome 300 years later saying, well, this is what I think that Jewish fellow would have been saying. Probably, yeah. Racism is baked right into Mormonism itself. You know, it's based on racist assumptions that these brown people couldn't have made all these amazing and interesting monuments and stuff. So obviously they killed off the smart white people. So he was racist, but he didn't like slavery for whatever reason. Probably because he grew up in the North. Exactly so. Certainly when you look at prophets in the Bible, they have said bold things that are God's opinion, supposedly, that are very much out of step with the culture at the time. And that was the job of the prophet to actually say whatever God's word was, whether it be popular or not. If you remember Nathan the prophet, he went up to David and said, hey, you killed this woman's husband and then took her. You're a bad guy. Remember how you were God's favorite? Mm-hmm. Well, then there's shit with Bathsheba. Now you're on the shit list. By being silent and just going with the status quo of public opinion on this issue, he is being unprofit-like. Yes. Or is he profiting opportunity? <laughs> Pretty much the entire existence of Mormonism has been so close in history that we could see that it's obvious. Like, hey, you said this thing and then this thing didn't happen. Or, hey... You're a con artist telling everybody that you're a prophet of God. It's weird how Mormonism has done so well with the history just being right there. Mm. And of course, you know, with the advent of the internet and the ease of information being right there, that's why the church is going, which... I'm all in favor of. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I've I've titled the next one, The Press is Freed. 
Out the window. <laughs> worry they'll vote as a block and they'll lose political power. They kind of stick to themselves and buy from each other. Samuel and others listed their complaints against the Saints. The document declared the town leader's intention to drive the Saints from Jackson County by any means necessary. Hundreds of Jackson County residents signed their names to the statement. So they decide to destroy the press. What was the press being used for at the time? William W. Phelps was publishing the Evening and the Morning Star, the church's monthly newspaper there. He was also preparing the Book of Commandments, which was a compilation of Joseph Smith's revelations. Armed men rushed into the house and dragged Sally and the children into the street. They threw the family's furniture and belongings out the front door and smashed windows. Sally watched as men broke the second-floor window of the printing office. They then heaved the printing press out the window and sent it crashing to the ground. This was a pretty traumatic experience. Yeah, and I think we often forget when we tell this story, it was also the Phelps' residence. They lived there. Well, they still vote as a block. Yeah, exactly. They actually do still vote as a block. Although with Trump, he's kind of thrown that uh, into a bit of a tizzy here. We've got confused Mormons. You know, you have freedom of religion in the United States, so they couldn't use a weird religion as a reason to stop them acting like they owned the place and stop them voting in a block and stop them being so antisocial as well, only trading with themselves and not being part of the community. In a perfect world, you should be able to go and do your own thing and ignore everyone else and just live your own life and not be attacked. But this is not a perfect world and communities generally work better when you interact with each other, where there's an open dialogue. And I don't think that the Mormons can say that they're blameless in shutting off some of that dialogue. But they do. Like, <laughs> growing up Mormon, you'd never hear any of that. It was always that the saints were wonderful and great and welcomed everybody. And that big, nasty mob, well, they were just influenced by Satan. It reminds me of conflicts in the Middle East over holy sites. Whenever a group of people consider a place to be their Zion or whatever, and they start getting insular and they stop talking to each other, it causes problems. Jerusalem had history and they have holy sites. This was a goddamn field out in the middle of nowhere <laughs> with a flat fucking rock that this dipshit Joseph just walked by and said, hey, look at that flat fucking rock. That's where Adam prayed to God right after getting kicked out of Eden. And Eden's right over there. It's another field. Uh -huh. It's not a holy site. It's a no. fucking field. There was no historical context except the historical context that Joseph was giving it. <laughs> anyway, so both sides once again are shitty. The worst of it was that William Phelps, he was tart and fed us. So it looks like he basically got beat up. He lived, though. So he wasn't murdered. One of the things that growing up Mormon, you hear a lot about the saints getting tarred and feathered. Definitely not a pleasant experience by any stretch of the imagination. No, it's disgusting. Yeah, but the tar is not like the stuff that they fucking resurface the road with, which is like hundreds of degrees. It was warmed up over a fire so it could get spread, but it wasn't hot. It was sticky and it was a pain in the ass to pick away, but they never tell you that. You're thinking that he's getting smeared in hundreds of degrees. Bitumen or something. Right. Yeah. Horribly scarred. Well, no, he had some red skin after they spent hours and hours picking it off. I'm sure he felt like he might have been going to suffocate. It might have been almost like a waterboarding experience. I do remember some stories where they tried to, like, actually put the tar in his mouth, which would, you know, make it so you could breathe. 
Do you know, they've done something really odd with their podcast mixing. There's something about that woman's voice that is the nasaliest thing. And I have spent hours trying to filter the nasal out of that narrator's voice just because I don't want to hear it when I replay it. And it's almost impossible to get rid of. I don't know what they've done to it. Somewhere around 200 hertz, there's something weird going on. You can't just put a limiter on it to hack out that? I've tried two things. I've tried some multi-band compression, so specifically just of that band compressing it, and that helped a bit. And I've also went through a 32-band graphic equaliser and just notched every single frequency I could find that did anything different to it. Yeah, maybe they got some new gear or they've got some gremlin in the system. What we need to do is get them on the gear. And by gear, I mean psilocybin mushrooms. I think psilocybin mushrooms could cure Mormonism. (laughs) That's an interesting theory because over the last few years, there have been people that theorized that Joseph Smith and the early Mormons were on mushrooms. <laughs> that they were Maybe. You know, with the folk magic background. They used that stuff. A lot of people theorize that's how all these visions happen. Right. So you say a cure for Mormonism. Other people say it was the goddamn cause of it. So mm. interesting. You know how when he would get a problem arise and then he'd go away for a couple of days, pray about it, and then say, oh, I've got a revelation now. I've got an answer. Maybe what he was really doing was going away for a bit, doing some drugs, and then when he gets his answer and his vision, he then goes and relays it to whoever's the scribe and says, oh, I'm just getting a vision (laughs) now. Oh, yes, this was it. Maybe. (laughs) I mean, I'm certainly no expert on it. I've only done psychotropics like once in my life. When I did LSD. Ah, yes, when the room melted and the ferrets were running around the room and causing all hell. Yes, trying to get my testicles. <laughs> That's right. Those fucking ferrets. But the reason I don't personally <laughs> subscribe to that theory is because Joseph Smith's revelations were always self-serving for Joseph Smith. Yes. When you're tripping on something, you don't have that much control. Like, you (laughs) see stuff and it's all over the place. But all of his visions, all of his revelations were serving Joseph Smith. That's right. Were they on mushrooms? Yes, possibly. I don't know. (laughs) But was that where all the spiritual things came from? No. I think that all the things that Joseph Smith said happened came from imagination imagination of how he could work something to his advantage. They say in the clips that for the townsfolk to get together, there was apparently a document that was written up and they all gathered in the courthouse and hundreds of people signed their names to it. I went looking for this document because I figured, hey, this sounds like an official document. It must be somewhere. And when you look on their footnote for it, nope. It's actually an article in the same Mormon paper before it was chucked out the window (laughs) that mentioned that there was a document that said this and this and this and had lots of names on it and here are some of the names that were on it. So we're taking a Mormon's words for what happened to Mormons as being absolute 100% fact. Well, that's a very Mormon thing to do. As general, (laughs) their sources are either going to be... (laughs) secondary, tertiary, or the sources are actually going to say completely opposite of what they are trying to spin it as. (laughs) If you're lucky enough that they've actually put sources in there, you're not going to find what you're looking for. There are plenty of Mormons who looked at 
at the gospel topic essays and looked at the sources, and that was their route out of the church. They realized the spin was all bullshit. If a historical Mormon has said something, printed something, written something that supports the current narrative, they will say, well, this person was a trustworthy source of but if that same Mormon historically said or did something that is contrary to the current narrative, they will say how this person was antagonistic and we shouldn't trust him. For example, <laughs> Martin Harris says, I saw the plates. They're like, think you saw the plates. Right. When Martin Harris joined like 16 other fucking religions and had spiritual experiences with them and swore that they were true, they're like, yeah, he was crazy. Don't listen to him. So why are we supposed to believe him here, but not over here? <laughs> and I don't doubt that the press was thrown out the window and I don't doubt that there was a mob and I don't doubt that there was probably some document too. But the thing is, it's just more removed from the facts being as crisp and clear as they would probably like to imply, especially when they're telling you a narrative history, which is this smooth story about how this person thought and then what they said. And I just want more. Every time I go to look in the footnotes, I'm always disappointed with this show. It brings me back to the idea of if people would just read the Book of Mormon instead of skimming it, like I think most Mormons do, really read every word and think about that, I reckon you'd have them leaving in droves. And it almost makes me wonder too if the historian, if they get on the podcast, I don't think they're true believers. They probably say they are. But I think some of them want to present this information and just slap you in the face with the contradictions. They want to come out and just say, this is all horseshit. But they're doing it by just presenting the facts and just like, make up your own mind. Because if you just listen to what they're saying, how else can you interpret some of these events? That <laughs> You're giving two groups of people too much credit. I probably am, Jones. <laughs> the people that find the real history of the church, they are either able to work through it or their eyes are open and they're like, this is bullshit. For people that work for BYU or work for the church, there's another layer there. Not only is this their culture that they grew up in and that everybody in their family is a part of, but also their livelihood depends on swallowing this. So <laughs> that's obviously going to affect the mind and affect you being able to say, hey, wait, this is fishy or hey, this doesn't line up with what I was taught. And you're giving too much credit to the people listening to this because this is just a surface treatment for them that they listen to and they feel the spirit. That's all they're going to get out of it. A faith-affirming story that barely touches on here and there some of the problematic history in the church. I think I've said it before. They're inoculating the listener. They're like, oh, look, oh, we've addressed it. You don't have to worry about it. Oh, look, oh, yeah, we've addressed it. You don't have to worry about it. For somebody who's looking at it from the outside, you're like, oh my God, this is so obvious. What the fuck? You must, you must know that this is bullshit. You must be trying to get the information out there and to subvert the message. No, they're not. They're earning a paycheck trying to conform with the mission of the church of mm. having people become stronger in the faith, know about some problematic history, but to know that it's all right. Everything's okay. Mm. So, you know. It is certainly not all right. I've known too many Mormons in my life. They don't want to know the truth because it's uncomfortable. We as human animals have evolved to not be uncomfortable. It's way more comfortable to just strap on that underwear. It really isn't. That underwear sucks <laughs> so bad. Like, oh my God. When I went back to just wearing regular underwear, 
I had to try on like three or four different styles of underwear to find one that was comfortable. Of course. How much more comfortable <laughs> underwear that's designed to be underwear and not a holy emblem. Just going back to that, it's so much more comfortable. I used to get like heat rashes on my thighs uh, because they were kind of snug and fabric would be rubbing back and forth. I bet. And then when I started wearing regular underwear, those went away. Mm -hmm. Gigi has talked about how some women will get constant UTIs from wearing the garments because they're not designed to breathe. Of course. They're designed by some old white guys who don't know a goddamn thing. It's an outward sign of an inward commitment. So you're just going to wear those underwear because Jesus told you to. Underwear is big business. And when you go and buy underwear, there are so many different kinds. And yeah. the reason for this is everybody has a different body. Everyone's junk's a bit different. How can they possibly get it right when they're giving you one basic style or whatever and saying, oh, here you go, you got to put this on. It's going to be fine. No, it's not. <laughs> and it's an inward sign anyway. You're not supposed to show people your underwear. Right. I don't know why it's anybody's business. I mean, what the fuck? It's just, oh God, why do they want to know what's in your pants? Why does anyone want to know what's in your pants? Oh, yes. All right, let's talk about this next one, which is a scary Mormon tale in a cornfield. <laughs> <laughs> The Book of Commandments was kind of in its final stages of production. It was not yet bound. Some of those who went to destroy the print shop, they were scattering the pages in the street. And Mary Elizabeth Rollins Leitner, she and her sister gathered up as many as they could carry in their arms. The mob saw them, they pursued them, so they ran into a cornfield where they hid until they stopped uh, looking for them. Like, mob mentality doesn't give a flying fuck if these are young teenage girls or not. Incidentally, neither does Joseph Smith because <laughs> in a few years, he's actually going to marry Mary Elizabeth Rollins. What? She becomes one of his wives. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's so fucked up. <sighs> and, of course, the story of Mary saving the pages was something that was told years later as a recollection. So, who the fuck knows exactly how it happened? Let's just steamroll on to the next bit then, because that goes on to how Mary became Mary. Mary, she was 15. Three years prior to this, she had come across the Book of Mormon when a copy was left with her family. She read it all night, the first night that she had it. So she had a very strong testimony of Joseph Smith as a prophet. And I think to see his revelations wantonly scattered in the streets was really something that uh, disturbed her. At 12 years old, she finds the Book of Mormon. She reads it apparently all in one night or whatever. And the way they word it had this amazing testimony of Joseph being a prophet. What I think really happened though is she read this book by this Joseph guy, probably had a little crush on him. And now at 15 was when she was picking up the pages. And then she ends up, oh, that's so fucked up. Oh, God. They weren't the only ones picking up pages. Nothing to do with this story is a about attacking women and children, and yet they're saying that they are pursued into the cornfield. 
I don't think the mob could have cared less about those sheets of paper that were on the ground. I think they'd already done what they came to do. It's a narrative history and its basis in actual fact is probably fairly loose. But the mob were violent people. So, I mean, imagine you are a 15-year-old child and you have adults that are being loud and scary. You could definitely think they're going to kill me. That's true. Her recollection could have been very much colored by the fact that she was a child and the were adults doing violent actions. A child's perception of it might have been, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. I just know I need to run, right? Yeah, and then Mary reading this book at such a young age, at 12, I don't know how, if she really read it, she could have thought it was so fantastic. Because I think that just really reading it, you get the impression this is horseshit. But I'm kind of wondering if maybe she couldn't read very well (laughs) and just kind of skimmed it. Or have you ever read the Twilight series? series of books about the vampires. I saw the first movie and that was it. (laughs) My wife thought they were the most marvelous books. Aren't they written by a Mormon? Yes. Do they have Mormon themes in it as well? Like Battlestar Galactica did? No, there's there's no collab or, or fucking uh, the 12 tribes of Zion or whatever the fuck it was. Yeah, no. It was just written by a horny Mormon housewife who couldn't write about horny stuff. So she made sparkly vampires. Because I just find it hard to believe that that could be something that a true believing Mormon would write. There's no explicit sex in there, so of course she can write that. <laughs> So she was in her 20s. She was young and she thought these books were great. Uh, But she now realizes that these books were trash. Absolute trash. (laughs) So you can read something that is absolute trash. And if somehow you have an emotional experience with it, you could think it's wonderful. You know, there are plenty of people that have read the Book of Mormon and thought that this is a great, wonderful book Mm. because they had some emotional connection. The Mormon church teaches people that if you feel good about something, that's from God. And also the Mormons are in Utah in the middle of fucking nowhere thousands of miles from anybody else to say, oh, wow, this is all bullshit. You are really putting your life at risk. So you do what you have to do to survive. Your brain goes, okay, you got to believe this because otherwise you're fucked. She read it all in one night, which means she was probably exhausted. The logic portions of her brain probably weren't engaged. Oh, there's no way they were engaged because when you read that shit that quickly, you can't take in what he's saying. It's too convoluted. It's just... As a youth, I tried many times to read the thing. Could never even get all the way through 2nd Nephi. Did you start daydreaming in the middle of it? No, you start snoring. Your brain kicks in and goes, hang on, this is not good for my survival. I need to do other things. (laughs) Maybe. It's better that I sleep. (laughs) (laughs) So I just think that's the worst young adult horror novel ever for her to get. She should have been reading other things. Mr. Samuel Clemens would fully agree with you on that. (laughs) That's right. He was around. She could have read his articles in the paper or something. Mm -hmm. That would have been something better to read anyway. All right, the next clip I've titled (laughs) Prophets are like everyone else, so why have them? The Lord told him this is supposed to be Zion. The saints truly believed that they would build that city. They'd build a temple. Jesus Christ would return. And so when they're expelled from Jackson County, they're wondering, why didn't God protect us? And Joseph himself is wondering about this. And he says, the Lord will not answer me. I think it's a great testimony to us that God operates with his prophets the same way that he does with you and me. That sometimes we have to struggle to find the answers. 
you could almost take it as being subversive because he's saying, and this is an interesting example of how prophets are just like everyone else. They still have to work for their answers. And I'm thinking, dude, that's not what they're supposed to do. <laughs> the prophet went to God asking for answers and God didn't answer him. And that just proves that he's a prophet. Wait, what? what? <laughs> Motherfucker, I'm not a prophet. And my entire life, I was asking God this or that. And he never talked to me. So does that mean I'm a prophet? Yes, it does, James. You're a prophet. <laughs> You're a prophet and you get a prophet and you get a prophet. The only way that you can read the Book of Mormon and listen to these saints episodes and come out of it saying, oh, Joseph was a prophet, is if you've just decided he's a prophet, no evidence needed. And then you're going to make every reason why that's the case and ignore all the reasons why it isn't. You start with the assumption that it's all true and then you take every event and force it through that lens. That's what he's doing. I don't mind that they start with a hypothesis. Okay, we have a hypothesis that Joseph Smith was a prophet and that the Book of Mormon is true because that's what you do in science experiments. Then try and come up with stuff that will disprove the hypothesis. You've got to test it really rigorously. And by God, you don't have to go far to have so much evidence that points to the hypothesis being falsified that why are we still doing this? The next one, I called it, when Smitty has ideas, he writes them down to make them seem inspired. So the saints had been told by some government officials in Missouri, Governor Daniel Dunklin of Missouri was willing to call up the state militia to escort the saints back to their land in Jackson County. The problem was he couldn't just keep them on guard to help the saints out. But if the saints could come up with their own force, that force of saints could protect them from being expelled again. Joseph receives another revelation, gather together a group, hopefully 500, but certainly no fewer than 100 men to go to Missouri. They barely get over the bare minimum that the Lord told them. And when they get there, there were peace negotiations going on. He says that he's not willing to call up the state militia. He told everyone that God says this is going to be Zion. Then they get kicked out of Zion. So Smitty is a false prophet. He then needs to look like he's really searching and that he's confused too to try and keep them all on side, I suppose. And then he has to come up with an answer that's supposedly inspired. And it's just him coming up with an answer. He wants to get an army together. The revelation that he gets is so mamby-pamby, wishy-washy and unspecific. If God was giving someone a word of knowledge, as they would like to call it, he's not going to say you need to get preferably 500 men but at least 100. If God's looked into the future and knows exactly what you need to make it happen, he's going to say you need to get this number of men and when you do, you're going to march in there and you're going to take the land. That's how it would have worked in the Old Testament, which he bases his whole style on, but no! That's probably what happened here. Joseph Smith said, oh, I have a prophecy and we have to have 500 men. You know, and three weeks later, oh shit, you only got 100 men. Uh, okay. Well, God said uh, at least yeah, exactly. Yeah. He added it afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> On to the next clip. I mean, it didn't work out for him, right? Once again, a false prophet. So the revelation that Joseph gets in June of 1834 tells him that it's no longer required of them to redeem Zion. Says very specifically that the church hasn't supported this expedition. So he begins to disband the camp. There's an outbreak of cholera. It ends up killing uh, 13 members of the camp and two other saints in Missouri. Just from purely a kind of historical perspective, 
this feels like a failure. How do the people take that? Do they remain faithful? There are some members of the camp who are thrilled and some who fall away from the church. He said that Zion can be recovered by force. And then they go in there and the promised help, it doesn't appear. And then suddenly, well, we can't take it by force. Let's go back home. And the people that marched down there with him, they're like, wait, wait, wait. You said that it was going to be taken by force. He's like, well, things change. We got to go. <laughs> so he has another revelation to just save his ass. It didn't work. Well, that's because it's your fault. You guys weren't faithful enough. He didn't get enough support from the church. It's not my fault. It's not God's fault. It's your fault. Yeah, I'm not a false prophet. It was always contingent on having support of the church, apparently. Every crackpot millennial doomsday person who says this is the day the world's going to end and then it doesn't happen. Well, it didn't happen because you guys weren't faithful. And people eat it up. In fact, I think there's been studies that show that people actually buy into it more if it doesn't work because for whatever reason, they believe more that it's their fault that the world didn't end and not that the guy that they were following was full of shit. Yeah. And the last point. Joseph calls the first 12 apostles. Eight of the 12 apostles were members of the camp of Israel. And every one of the 70 who were called at that time had also been a member of the camp of Israel. Joseph is able to see who will be willing to sacrifice things for the sake of the church. These were the most extreme of his followers that followed him out there to do this, right? And he promotes these people to leadership positions within his church. When it all went to shit and his prophecies didn't turn out, they were the ones that stuck with him. Right. There was a number of them that said, you know what? Fuck this. You're crazy. It didn't happen. You separated us from our family. We've had a dozen or more of us die from cholera. Members of this group that gave their life for your prophecy and it didn't turn out. So fuck you. We're out. No, he picked it from the people that despite all that still said, well, Joseph Smith is a prophet going to follow the prophet. He's like, hey, these fuckers are really committed. Right. It's not like these guys always stuck. Like he excommunicated members of the 12 left and right all over the place up until days or weeks of when he was murdered. As long as they were useful, as long as they towed the line, as long as they said Joseph Smith's a prophet, he would give them more power. As soon as they stepped in a line, fuck it, you're out. These people then breed amongst themselves and then you get a whole slew of people that have the same shitty personality traits that started off this horse shit in the first place. Look, everyone has a shitty personality, right? But do you really want your kids to have the same shitty personality as yours? No, you want them to have different experiences to you. Arguably, you want them to do better. If you're a thinking person, yes, but being Mormon is to be a good Mormon. Mormon, like your daddy was a good Mormon and your grandpa was have the same personality and the same haircut and go to the same college and marry in the same temple, go into the same career. But again, it's not exclusive to Mormonism or any other religious group. Everybody wants their kids to turn out like them because they thought they had it great. Birds of a feather stick together and I'm sure Roman Catholics all have their own kind of way too. <laughs> Oh dear, uh, humanity is sad. Very much so. I don't have much hope for the human race, but... I'm hopeful. I hope that at least my 
contribution to the human race will do all right. Yeah, that's it. You just got to focus on what you can do something about, Jones. You don't have to try and solve everything. I'd be really stoked if in my lifetime the church goes bankrupt. Now, I think it's unlikely that that'll happen, but my God. They would have to make some Elon Musk level fuck-ups as far as their investment portfolios. It's possible because their organization is always run by an 80-plus year old. But the money is controlled by men that understand the business of investing and making money. Jones, it's great to speak to you and it's great that we're able to do a Saints episode together instead of always just reading the Book of Mormon together and we'll have to do this a bit more regularly. Yep, we'll talk to you later. Sleep well, see you later. This is my new normal.